Good morning. I want to welcome you to this worship service here at First United Methodist Church, and especially those that are online and those that are on per- here in person. We're just so grateful that you're here to be with us today. If you look at the end of your pew, you're going to see a registration pad. There's those black looking notebooks. If you would fill them out with your attendance, we'd really appreciate that. And then if someone else comes in, make sure that they see that so they can register also. Uh, I neglected to say I'm uh, Reverend Phyllis Barron, and I'm just really thankful that I get to be here with you today. Uh, All of our hymns, there's uh, bulletins for you if you need that, and also the screens will have all of the hymns and the verses and everything on there that you can follow along with us on that. On August 28th is a special time in our church. We call it Pastries with the Pastors. This is a time that you come and you meet, you ask questions, you decide your journey of your faith. Do you want to become part of this congregation? Do you want to make this your membership? And so we invite all people that would like to just learn more to come to that. It's going to start in room 350 up on August the 28th. And I hope that if you're in that place trying to decide if this is your church home, that you come and join us on that day. And nominations is a word that we use here in the church, but it's for church leaders. And we know that people out here are our church leaders. So if you would like to be on a committee to serve and let that be your place where you can help us, you can write that on the registration pad or email any of the pastors to say you want to do that. Or if you know someone else that you see gifts and graces that they have, nominate them so that we can talk to them and see if they would like to share in leadership of the church. Now, September 11th, that's the Sunday after Labor Day, and that's kind of when everything kicks back off again. Confirmation begins, and our children's program, Academy, starts, and everything starts that day. So I hope that you will make that a special attempt to come, bring your kids, come and be part of that. A lot of programming starts on September 11th. But on Academy, which is for our children, we're short a few Sunday school teachers. Mark, which is over here, said that if you would write him, email, put anything in the notepad, find him in the hallway, anything, he would come and talk to you and share with you what a blessing it would be to serve in that way to uh, help with our children. So those are the announcements we have, and I ask you for your hearts and minds to just relax a little bit and get ready for our prelude of our worship service.
Good morning. I'm Reverend Linda McDermott. It's so nice to be here with you this morning. Would you please stand and join me in our call to worship? And then please remain standing for our opening hymn. For those times when we move in the shadows, not wanting to be seen, we come together in light to find our joy in God. For those times when we search for the source of our vulnerabilities and fears, we come together in the truth to find forgiveness in fellowship. For those times when life has been revealed and we have ignored or denied it, we come together in grace and the presence of Christ. Amen. Each week as a community of faith, we affirm our faith as a community. So will you join me now in our affirmation of faith? We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit, we trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope. In life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.
be seated. We come now to a very sacred time in our uh, worship service, and that is uh, holy baptism. And it is a sacrament that we all celebrate as a church together. And at this time, I invite the parents of um, Lucas Allen and James Allen to please come forward. the sign of God's mercy and love, reminding us that we do not come into this relationship with God on the basis of anything we do, but rather on the basis of God's acceptance and gracious invitation of love. Children have always been an important place among the people of God. Remember these words that Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. Now to the parents, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sins? If so, say, I do. I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? If so, say, I do. I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, all nations, and all races? If so, say, I do. I do. And will you nurture Lucas and James in Christ's holy church, that by your teaching and example, they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, to profess their faith openly, and to lead a Christian life? If so, say, I will. I will. All right, I think I'm going to let Lucas hold on for a second. <laughs> Let's start with James. James Allen, you want to touch this water real quick? No? Can you touch it? Yeah. James, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and pray God's richest blessings upon you now and every day of your life. Amen. If you've got a free hand, if you'll place it with him on me. James Allen, the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born through water and the Spirit, you may live as a faithful disciple of your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm just going to stand back here. Hey, Lucas, do you want to touch this water? Yeah. Lucas Allen, I baptize you in the name of the Father. Y'all, he's smiling. Trust me. <laughs> I baptize you in the name of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and pray God's richest blessings upon you now and every day of your life. Amen. If you'll place a hand on him with me. Lucas Allen, the Holy Spirit work within you that being born through water and the Spirit, you may live as a faithful disciple of your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Everyone, the sacrament of baptism is not something we do as individuals, but as the entire church. We welcome these young men into the life of the church and promise to be the source of their love and discipleship and guidance for their entire time here. Now, would you please join me together in our congregational response? With God, tell we will so order our lives after the example of Christ that Lucas Allen and James Allen, surrounded by steadfast love, may be established in the faith and confirmed and strengthened in the way that leads to life eternal. Well, good morning, friends. I am uh, Mr. Mark, the children's minister here at First United Methodist Church, and uh, I get to work in the funnest 
part of the building, which is the children's wing. We sometimes call it Wonka World. And uh, sometimes it feels a little bit like Mary Poppins' bag because it's got a little bit of everything in there. A lot of my, our, uh, my colleagues on staff will come when they need something. Mark, do you have glue sticks? Well, of course I've got glue sticks. Help yourself. Mark, do you have duct tape? Sure. Do you have purple duct tape? Yes, I've got purple duct tape. Do you have a shark puppet? Yes. And uh, Miss Elaine went for worship, said, hey, do you have a couple of globes I can borrow? I've got, said, yeah, of course I've got globes. So you, we see these globes here. But she missed one. I'll go get it. I'll be right back. <clears throat> Thank you, Peggy, you're amazing. <laughs> so here is the other globe. And one signal is when I feel like I'm low on content, I bring out even bigger props. <laughs> and uh, I love kind of exploring the world and imagining the world as God sees it, this amazing gift that God gave to us. And um, sometimes I like to think about the world and even with the song that Miss Peggy just played for us about uh, he's got the whole world in his hands and imagining what God's hands look like. So I might take a look at your hand, right? And we, we know that we are created in the image of God. And so we can think, well, if we have hands like this, then this is what God's hand looks like, this hand right here. And it, that's really close. But that doesn't tell the whole story. It's not a ju just about one person and one person's hand. You know, when Jesus said that he was the light of the world, he also said, you are the light of the world. But he wasn't saying that to one person. He was saying that to a whole group of people, that you are the light of the world. And when, it's, uh, when we look at how can we be God's hands, how can we be God's light, it's not about one person doing the most or saying the most or having the most stuff so that they can almost lift themselves above the world. We're called not to lift ourselves above the world by having the most stuff, although there's about three or four people who seem like they're, they're, they've got a pretty good head start. But it's about all of us working together to lift up this world, being God's light together, being God's hands together. I can try to lift up this world with my one hand. Ugh. It's not working, is it? Ugh. I need some help. That's your cue. <laughs> come on over. Would anybody else like anybody else like to come up and help? You want to come help? You want to come help anybody else? Could always use another hand. All right, let's try it. So let's all gather around. You're going to come up. Come on up. There we go. All right. Now wait, wait, wait for the instructions. Don't lift. You got to lift for the legs, first of all. Oh, it looks like a ball. It does. And we're going to put our hands right around the equator. The equator is kind of like the belt of the earth. So the equator is kind of right in the middle. And just use one hand and put the other hand behind your back. All right. And press in at the equator and very gently the equator's down there. Yeah, it's on the North Pole. Here we go. You're squishing sand. Here we go. Put gently. One, two, three. Here we go. And we're going to put it down gently so that we don't squish the penguins in Antarctica. Gently, 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 gently. And that's how we lift up the world. It sure is. You're letting your fingers do the walking. Now, we, I, before we looked at our hands and thought we saw God's hands. Now, everybody hold up all your hands together. Now look around the room. This is what God's hands look like. Not one set of hands, not one set of light, but all of us putting our light together. All of us putting our hands together to be this amazing community. Not to lift ourselves above the world, but to lift up this world so it can be everything God knows it can be. Amen. Now, if I've got any friends who want to come join me at that door, we can get this entire world up the stairs. Come help me. Let's go. <laughs> My Jesus, I love you.
Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. I'll be reading from the Common English Version, and I invite you to read along in the Pew Bible or a Bible of your own. Uh, the Pew Bible, it's on page 239. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Everything that is in the world, the craving for whatever the body feels, the craving for whatever the eyes see, and the arrogant pride in one's possessions, it's not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world and its cravings are passing away, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. God speaks to us through the reading of Scripture. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Linda. Before we consider today's scripture reading and today's message, I want to say a word of thanks to our choir and our worship leaders for leading us in music. I want to say a word of thanks to everyone who's part of our hospitality team, for the folks who are in leading and children's and youth and adult ministries here at the church. I'm so thankful for our tech team for connecting us live here in person and everywhere else in the world. My name is Lance Marshall. I am the senior pastor here at the First United Methodist Church of Fort Worth. And before we get into the sermon, I have a quick announcement. I need to share about some stuff going on at the life of the church, and it's good stuff. Stuff. Um, one of the things that happens when you're going into ministry is people start recommending books on leadership. Y'all ever read books on leadership and things along those lines? It can be a little frustrating because every book on leadership I've ever read starts with saying something like, well, there's no common trait universal to all leaders. You can't say they're all good at certain things or they're all certain kinds of people or all good leaders have certain kinds of experiences. We're not really sure what makes a great leader. And I'm just thinking, well, why did I buy this book? Because... <laughs> This is not super helpful, and that, that's probably the worst I've ever heard of that is in a book I'm reading right now. It's called Contextual Intelligence, and I'm reading this book on leadership called Contextual Intelligence, and it starts by saying all those things. We don't know what is consistent with leaders, but it had one thing it pointed out. There is one trait that's consistent with good leaders, and this is good leaders in businesses. This is good leaders in families, good leaders in nonprofits, in churches, institutions of all kinds. There is one trait that's common among good leaders. Good leaders, it said, make the right decision at the right time. <laughs> okay, thank you, book. I appreciate that. And it went on a little bit more, and it said one thing that seems to be in common between them is they're really paying attention to the world that's actually around them. Not just what they wish was the case, but what is the case actually around them. That was a little bit helpful. And in the gathering at 9.30 today, we had to talk about some changes in the life of the regular rhythm here at the church that are based in paying attention to what's actually behind us. If you typically worship at the 11 o'clock service, the traditional service here in the sanctuary, one, you may not be aware that we have a contemporary service that worships at 9.30. And two, you may not be aware that historically its home has been in Wesley Hall. There's been COVID and there's been renovations in Wesley Hall and things like that. But uh, historically, it's been in Wesley Hall. And we have the gift of a new pastor that's just joined our staff, Pastor Brenda Brooks Alexander. If you're in the Methodist Church, new pastors come on the 1st of J July. That's when we all kind of switch churches if we're getting moved. And Pastor Brenda has this gift of fresh eyes. She's got the gift of seeing things fresh for the first time. And, and you know, she doesn't, she's learning how everything's happening here. It doesn't just take for granted why it is that way. She's got those great fresh eyes. And so a couple weeks in, I asked her, you know, how have your first few weeks on staff here at this church been? And she's been talking to people and hearing things and learning things, all with these fresh eyes. And Pastor Brenda said, it's really good. One of the things that keeps happening when I'm talking to all the new staff members is they keep wondering when you're going to figure out the gathering doesn't fit in Wesley Hall anymore. <laughs> and I said, well, I guess right now is when I figured it out. And that's the truth. Uh, the gathering has, uh, the Wesley Hall has 300 chairs in it. That's how many chairs it can fit. The truth is that once the room, any room, in any church anywhere gets 80% full, people stop coming because no one wants to, you know, step over people and things like that. They just walk out the back door because there's not enough chairs. Well, in July and August, what are historically some of the least well-attended months of the calendar year, Wesley Hall's already full. So, beginning on September 11th, the gathering is going to launch over here in the sanctuary. We're going to have the gathering take place here in the sanctuary every week going forward. The truth being, it's the only room large enough in the church for it. 
So I'm excited for that. I'm excited what God's doing in the midst of that community. I'm very thankful for it. But the next most important thing, and that's what really applies to those of you who love to worship at 11 o'clock, the 11 o'clock service will be the 11 o'clock service that you love and enjoy. The thing that is going to be different, though, is based on what we've been learning, paying very close attention to what's happening in the life of the church, particularly in the kind of, I don't want to say the post-COVID era, but the post-lockdown era, the post-mask era. One of the things that we've seen here at the church is every time we open up a space for y'all to sit and visit and just be together, not only are the people of the church sitting and visiting and being together, but quite frankly, we can't get you to go home. Y'all are sitting and visiting and being together until the last one of you says, get out. <laughs> because that's something people need in their life right now. And that's something people need the church to provide for them. And whether it's been putt-putt golf on Father's Day or whether it's been uh, ice cream or whether it's been food truck parties or whether it's been potlucks. I don't know if y'all know, but over the course of the summer, we had those four potlucks and all we did was throw a gingham tablecloth and over a hundred of you came multiple times. Y'all are communicating very strongly that as much as anything else, what you want is to be together and enjoy each other's company. And so the good news of the gathering taking place for worship here in the sanctuary is that beginning on September 11th, which is when Academy starts, that's the first Sunday after Labor Day, when things really take off in the life of the church. Beginning September 11th, every Sunday, Wesley Hall is going to be set up very intentionally with tables and chairs and places to meet and visit and sit and eat. And my dream is that when you come to church every Sunday, you couldn't imagine not going into Wesley Hall, not just because that's where the coffee is and that's where the food is, but that's also where your friends are, the friends you already know and the friends that you're excited to meet. And so I'm thankful that God continues to bless and work through our church, that things like finding a room big enough continues to be an issue in the life of our church. And I'm thankful that we have a space like that that's going to be so wonderful for all of us to have a chance to visit and to be together. And so whether you worship at 9.30 or 11 o'clock before or after services, I'm thankful that beginning September 11th, because we don't have to have the room set up for worship, it'll be perfectly set up for hospitality and time spent together. So that was my brief announcement. I hope it's making the right decision at the right time based on paying deep attention to what's happening in the life of our church. Okay, transition. Sermon now. Hey everybody, glad you're here. We're in a sermon series right now called The Light of the World, hence the candles and the globes. Some of them that I didn't realize can inflate and bounce down the hallways. It comes from 1 John. 1 John is a, chap uh, it's a chapter of the New Testament. It's actually a small letter. And I'll talk about it a little bit more in the beginning. One of the things I think that God is pleased with in our church and God continues to bless in our church is we talk a lot about transformation here. We talk a lot about our lives being changed by the grace of Christ, the power of Christ, the work of Christ. But one of the things I think is really important is when we're talking about change, we're not just saying, hey, you should change by trying harder or by doing better or by doing more. That's not the mechanism for change in our lives. Last week I talked about sin and the reality of sin and we talked about these uh, different buckets of cardinal sins, just kind of main buckets or directions that a lot of sins can fall in. And I asked you to kind of reflect on what are some of these that Christ is lifting up in you, right? Just kind of showing, hey, maybe this is something to think about and pray about. I didn't tell you which one it was for me because I knew which one it was going to be for me because it's something that Jesus and I talk about a lot. For me, it's anger. You may not realize that anger is something I struggle with because I'm not the kind of person whose anger manifests in things like yelling or mean words or things like that. But the truth is I can get really angry. For me, it tends to manifest in things like snarkiness or sarcasm. No way. So that's one of the things that we've been working on, me and Jesus. It's one of the things that we've been talking out, but talking about a lot. But one of the things that's really helpful for me to recognize is when I have these experiences of of being angered to the point of it's not how Christ would have me react. It's been helpful for me to recognize that instead of sitting there and just saying, don't do that or you shouldn't do that or Lance, it's bad, that you've given everything you have to following Christ and yet you're still struggling with anger. Instead of resting on just you shouldn't do that or don't do that or it's bad to do that. Instead, my time and my energy and my focus goes on, Lance, what's going in on your heart that made you respond to that in anger. Lance, what's, what are you afraid of that resulted in when that happened, you got angry? 
Lance, what are you worried about? Or what lie do you believe about yourself or about others that's making you respond to this aggravation and anger? Because guess what? There's always going to be things in our life that are difficult and challenging. What's going on in your heart that's making you respond with anger to the point of it's not what Christ would have you be doing? See, one of the things we talk about when we talk about transformation in this church is the thing behind the thing, right? Changing our life isn't just don't do this or you shouldn't be this way or you shouldn't do that, but rather, okay, that's happening. What's going on? What am I afraid of? What am I worried about? What lie am I believing about myself or about other people or about the world or about God that's manifesting itself in that kind of behavior? Because that's something that will actually end up changing how it is that we're acting. We're reading through all these things, focusing on 1 John. Remember, it's a letter in the New Testament. If you read it there in your pew Bibles, it's very far toward the end. And the person who wrote 1 John also wrote 2 John and 3 John and also wrote the Gospel of John. It means that this person who's writing this portion of the New Testament is someone we believe that actually walked with Jesus and spent time with Jesus and heard Jesus speak and was present at the crucifixion and the death and the resurrection of Christ and who's now gone on to planting churches, living as an apostle, teaching and revealing what God has done in Christ. And these letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, are him responding to situations that have taken place. One of the things that he's experiencing is people who were a part of these early Christian communities are leaving them thinking that he doesn't know what he's talking about when he talks about Jesus. Can you imagine how infuriating that would be? People are saying, well, Christ really wasn't human and divine. They've come to, maybe he really wasn't the Christ. Maybe he was just an incredible teacher who God was blessing. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be if you're someone who was actually there with him? So when John is writing, he's writing some incredibly helpful things that apply to us in our life today, and that's the context in which he's doing it. And he has three main points that he needs you to understand when he's writing this letter, three main emphases that I want to bring up on the screen. One of the things is you need to understand who Jesus really is. You need to understand who he really is. And he begins his letter pointing this out. If you're one of the people that has your Bibles and takes notes in it, which I always invite you to do, this is something you can put at the very beginning of 1 John. John's importance is you understanding who Jesus really is, right? God with us, the incarnate one, all those things that he says in the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's the same thing he needs you to know in the beginning here. He also needs you to have a right understanding about sin. Some of the people who are leading others astray, who have broken away, who have against Christ or anti-Christ teachings that he's pointing out, have come to this weird belief that there really is no sin or separation from God. And he says, no, you need to understand that. Each and every one of us has that. I want to point out, I'm so thankful for so many of you who responded so positively to last week's sermon about sin. I can't believe that. I never expected to get a bunch of emails or comments about people really appreciating a sermon about sin. Y'all, that's awesome. Next week's sermon is going to be about tithing. <laughs> I can't wait. This is great. No, honestly, a lot of y'all really helpfully lifted up, right? I, I gave a definition of sin. That's not a perfect definition, but in my life, my sin is just the gap between who I am today the sum total of my, the things I've done, the things I've left undone, and the orientations of my heart. And the gap between that and who I could have been. That's my, that's my sin, right? We all experience some gap between who we are and who we could have been had we followed Christ perfectly. The right thing you need to do is understand it, to acknowledge it, and to lift it up so that Christ can forgive it and heal it and help you move past it. So these are two main emphases. And then the last one is the importance of following Jesus being marked in your life by living in love towards other people. It's a really big emphasis, particularly when it comes on how Christians treat each other. The emphasis on how you treat each other needs to be living in love. And I wish there was a little sub-point right in the middle here, 2B, because that's what we're talking about today. Because the truth is, if you're going to actually live in love, there are going to be some things that are obstacles to that, that block that, that make it hard for you, and that's what he's focusing on in this portion of Scripture. It's small enough that I'm going to read it again very quickly. He's about to launch into the importance of treating each other in love. But before that, he says this. Don't love the world or the things in the world, John writes. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Everything that is in the world, 
the craving for whatever the body feels, the craving for whatever the eyes see, and the arrogant pride in one's possessions is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world and its cravings are passing away, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. What he's pointing out here is that if you want to actually be the kind of person who treats other people in love and in real kindness and compassion and joy and humility and empathy, you are not going to be able to do it on the strength of your will and personality alone. If you're going to actually be able to treat other people in kindness and empathy and love the way that following Christ would have you do, you're not going to be able to do it on the strength of your own willpower or personality. You're only going to be able to do it if your life is rooted in the power and strength of the Lord, particularly marked by focusing on the things that are eternal and not the things that are all around us that at the end of the day will amount to nothing. If you're going to actually treat those people, the difficult people, the challenging people, the upset people, the wrong people, the lying people, if you're actually going to treat them in humility and generosity and love, you have to be focused on something a lot bigger than yourself and a lot bigger than the transient things of this world to have the strength and the power and the gravitas and the spiritual maturity to actually do it. If you're going to make that happen, if you're going to act that way, then what's going on inside of you needs to be rooted in and oriented towards the things that last forever. Because if you're consumed with all of this stuff, that ain't going to be possible for you. I mean, he doesn't say ain't, but we can agree that he would. <laughs> so what are the things of this world, right? If you're going to be focused on the things that come from God, that emanate from God, whose source is in God, and don't come from or emanate from whose source isn't the world, what is that? He points out three key things, which I think is incredibly helpful for us. The first, he says, and this is in verse 16, the craving for whatever the body feels. The cravings of your body are good, right? The things that your body desires to be fed, to be nourished, to be satisfied, these things are good. But when people are consumed by them, when they're driven by them, when they've taken something that's good and they've come to the point of overindulging it, when it's consumed them and their craving is what's driving and motivating, then you're not tied to the things that can actually help you treat other people and this kind of compassion and generosity. When he talks about things the eyes see, we can agree that he's talking about stuff, right? I mean, how can you treat other people compassionately and generosity and with humility and kindness and with love, especially when they're being difficult or wrong or wrong-headed or divisive? How could you do that if you're just focused on stuff, right? And by stuff, I don't mean just houses and cars and clothes and really cool guitars that you don't actually need, but they're really high quality. But you play them in church every once in a while, so really it's glorifying God, right? <laughs> yeah. The gathering band is basically a collection of people who use it as an excuse to buy the things they want to buy. It's for God, though. The things of this world, the things that the eye sees, is not just stuff. It's also the idea of winning. Mm. It's also the idea of overcoming those people who are wrong. It's also this idea that if we could just get rid of them, those wrong-thinking people, if we could just get them out of our church, if we could just get them out of our schools, if we could just get them out of our voting population, if we could just get those people who think wrong out, then everything would be good. Then I could start treating everybody with love, right? That's what the world, that's what you see when you look around the world. The idea that if I could just get rid of them, then I could teach everybody in love. Finally, I love how the CEB translates it, arrogant pride in one's possessions. Arrogant pride in one's possessions. Remember, wealth and resources is a value-neutral thing, right? Jesus doesn't say money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's a value-neutral thing. In fact, one of the things that God does over and over again is give resources to people who use them for the blessing of others and the coming of the kingdom. But one of the things is true. If you live the kind of world where, let's say you're a farmer, let's say you're a shepherd, 
it's easy to understand that ultimately at the end of the day, you are dependent on God. Because no matter how hard you work, right, if the rain doesn't fall, if the grass doesn't grow, your sheep don't live. If you're a farmer, it doesn't, how hard you, doesn't matter how hard you work, ultimately, if the rain doesn't fall, if the sun doesn't shine, your crops don't grow and you have nothing to sell. If you live in that kind of world, it's very easy to understand that ultimately at the end of the day, you are reliant on God. But it can be tough to understand that. If you live in a world like ours and you went out and you started a business and you started attracting customers and you started making deals and you started bringing on new people and you had an idea and it worked and you had another idea and it didn't work. But then you had another idea and that one worked great. It's really easy to go for you to say, yeah, yeah, I believe that I rely on everything from God, but I seem to be doing pretty okay myself, right? It can be hard to really trust in that. And so before, before long, if you're not paying attention, the cravings of your body and the things that your eye sees, which is not only stuff, but also the idea of victory and getting rid of all those people with whom you don't agree and your satisfaction that you yourself are going to be providing for all the needs that you have ultimately can crowd your heart and can orient your life on this stuff that at the end of the day is going to amount to nothing. That's the truth. Or you can focus your eyes on the things that come from the Father, the things that last eternal, the things that will never go away. And so oriented towards that with humility and with grace and with generosity, you can actually live in love, real love, real empathy, real compassion, real generosity and real care to the people around you, even the people who are being wrong and difficult and hard-headed. So I end today with this. Last week I asked you to reflect on what John lifted up the reality that each of us has experienced things that lead us away from God. To lift up a list and say, where is it that I might be led astray? Where is it that I might be struggling? Where is it that I might be hurting? Today, where is it that your eye is drawn towards the things of this world? Where is it that you find yourself really caring, being deeply invested, thinking about, worrying about, and hoping about stuff that at the end of the day does not matter? I know I have an answer. What's yours? And as you dive deep into yourself, as you begin to be focused not just on behaving differently, but more importantly, what's going on in my heart and in my life that's orienting me away from how I would act? if I was perfectly following Christ, as you do that hard work, as you open up your life and examine it that way, as you let that light shine, know that you're doing so with Christ right there with you. And it's his power and it's his grace and it's his love that will help you feel that transformation today and tomorrow and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, following you is hard. Being your people is not easy. And every day our eyes are drawn to the things of this world, to the cravings of our body, the things that make us feel good or valued or even just safe. Lord, often our eyes are drawn to the things that we see around us, just the stuff of this world, but also the values of this world that can lead us to treating others and treating ourselves in ways that are far from who you would have us be. Lord, sometimes we can become just arrogant with what we think we've provided for ourselves and done for ourselves and in doing so, blind ourselves to our reliance on you. Lord, help us take one step away from being of the world and help us be instead of the Father, rooted in our Father, following our Father, being as our Father would have us be. Focus not on things that will ultimately amount to nothing, but instead on building our lives as a part of your life eternal. Jesus, guide us, keep us, shape us in your image, and as together we pray the words that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
Amen. to that time in our worship service when we are given the chance to share our resources and to serve God through the ministries of this church. One of those ministries is our welcoming ministries, the, the pastries with the pastors, the visitation time in Wesley Hall on Sunday mornings, the on-ramp program that helps people get connected into the programs and, and ministries of this church, all the many ways that we help create community. And you heard Lance say at the beginning of his sermon, this church is growing. And we have a number of new people coming every week. And so we have these opportunities to help welcome them. And your gifts, your resources help that make that possible. Also your volunteering, which we really appreciate. So at this time, I would ask our ushers to come forward so that we might share these resources in ministry. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, use our gifts, all that we have to offer, to all that is lasting and gives life as we continue to be faithful disciples because we do love more than just the things of this world, but the things that last. Amen. So 
just don't know which way close of our time here in the uh, worshiping, I want you to know we have something called plus one. And when we do plus one, we're talking about worship, but then do something else. And that's where you make the real relationships with people, that you come to a Sunday school class, or you come part of a, a Bible study, or you come to United Methodist Women, which starts back in September. There's so many opportunities. I can't list them all. But I want you to find your plus one so you make those deep, profound relationships with someone. And then the next thing we do is our on-ramp, which we've already mentioned. That's for our visitors or to find your plus one. Leave the sanctuary, go into the garden. You'll see a big sign there. And that plus one, ask questions. Ask, where can I find my place? And if you're a first-time visitor, I want you to know there's a gift for you and your child. There's a mug for you, and then there's coloring books for the kids. And we just want you to know you're always welcome here. You're not alone. Come and find somebody that can help you find a place that you feel is, this is your church home. And one more thing, at the end of our worship service, we have our congregational care minister, Janet, that's going to be with you over at the sign. And that's where we can come. If you have something on your heart and you need to pray, we want to lift that up so that you can come and just have someone pray with you right now. So I hope you uh, find your place come to the end of our time together, I feel like I need to confess a little bit. I need to confess. Thomas and Peggy, why didn't you tell me that song was going to be so good? I'm feeling angry that I was up here preaching so hard. If y'all are just going to do something amazing like that, Mr. Dudley, thank you much for your solo. I could have sat down earlier. We could have been out of here 10 minutes earlier. That was so much better. <laughs> our gathering will now soon be ended. Where will we go and what will we do? May grace, peace, hope, love, and joy forever accompany you. Amen.